Good evening, Mr. Ham. How are you? I am wonderful, Mr. Claywell. I hope you've had a good couple of weeks since the last time we got together and done this. Uh, I know I have. Well, it's been all right. I was a little bit sick. Yeah. Getting over, getting over a bit of a cold. Didn't have the flu or anything nasty, fortunately. That's good. Yeah. I'm hoping that Just, the sickness has ran its course through my place. We, yeah. It seems like we all ended up with it at one point. Yeah. That's no fun. No. Especially especially when you got the little ones. No. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, since we did this last, we've had a little bit of the white stuff outside. Uh, stupid white <laughs> murder fluff. Go away. <laughs> oh, yeah. I enjoyed it, though. I mean, I got to sleep in a couple of days. We did have to go in the last couple of days that we were off to, for the, the iLearn days that they have here, the non-traditional instruction days. Um, yeah. wasn't so bad. Got to work in the classroom for a little while and get things done and it, it was not so bad. So, yeah. Well, uh, and then, I, and then they're saying this coming weekend, we're supposed <laughs> to get like a foot, foot and a half. Just oh, yeah, please, these, please no. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's looking like it's going to line up to be a, a pretty massive event from what I've, I've gathered. And this is one of those deals where it's hitting right about the same time that we had, um, the one when, well, I think it was 98, I remember my brother's birthday was on February 8th, and um, we had gone, my girlfriend at the time and I had gone to see Aerosmith on like, I want to say it was like the 3rd or 4th of February. I literally wore short sleeves and shorts to the show. It was almost 70 degrees. It was beautiful. Like, that was on Saturday night, Friday night, Saturday night, something like that. On Tuesday, it started snowing. On Wednesday, we had like, 10 inches by Friday, like there was some kids, uh, some dudes that was there at, at Commonwealth Hall that took a yardstick out and dropped it in the snow and it disappeared. It was unreal. It was a massive Jeez. amount of snow. And it was like right at the, the beginning of February. These are the when the big ones hit typically. So ah, I hope we don't get one like that, but... Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, it, it could be nasty. Uh... <laughs> Don't wish that on us, man. Um, I'm, wish I'm wishing it ag ag against it. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, so um, thank you, everyone, for like you know talking with us after the last episode. Uh, yeah. I, I learned quite a bit, and uh, like I didn't realize that the gaming industry had become what it it had become because you know back whenever it was Mario Brothers when I was playing video games, you didn't have all of that, but. Um, I've had some pretty good feedback from it. I've actually heard from a few of, of, of my guys that I've run around with that, that have talked about how terrible some of the, the games have become because it, it has become like just corporate. It's all money now. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. So appreciate it. But I've it. got that off my chest. Good, good. I, I'm all raised out for a while. Good deal. I'm ready to talk about something else. All right, so tonight we've got something fun. There are so many things out there that... that are developed in its own universe. And when I say that, comic book people, there's the DC, the Marvel. Um, you've got those universes and how everything interconnects and people live in the same universe. Right. The Star Wars universe, for anybody that's out there that's our Star Wars people, you got the Star Trek universe. You've got, I mean, just about anything that's in entertainment, books, movies, whatever. They have their own world. Yep. Harry Potter land. Ah, no, I love that one. Um, I'm going to try my best here in the next couple of years to get down to Universal and just experience it. I, I want to live it. <laughs> it does look fun. It does. It does indeed. Um, I watched a video the other day of someone being select, like their wand selecting them. Have you seen those things? 
If no, you, if I haven't seen not, that. No. Oh, it's so awesome. You go into uh, um, Ollivander's, and he comes out. Like It's about every 20 or 30 minutes. Like He'll come out, and he'll select someone out of the little crowd of people that's in there, and he will personally fit them for their wand. And um, and I'm sure those only cost like a hundred, two hundred dollars. They're fifty. The same same as the other ones. I mean, the, all of them in that because it's Harry Potter themed. Even the the replicas that I saw at Barnes and Noble the other night were were fifty dollars. Um, and these are interactive with the entire like setting. So the right. whole down in diagonally. Yeah, right? yeah. Everything is inter- interacts with the ones, and so not diagonally. Not diagonally, because you you end up in a like a fireplace if you do that. Yeah, yeah. You want to go to Diagon Alley. <laughs> so yeah, so he comes out and he does a, a selection, like or lets you like fit you for a wand, and when it like you you give it a flick and like glass breaks or things fly off of the shelves, and then when you finally do get the one that it it's that that selects you, like the lights all come on and this like the air, it, it's just. It's it's really really awesome. It's it's a good little like YouTube look up, you know, Ollivander's wand selection at Universal. It's pretty awesome. And and like a halo comes over you and you hear like Whoa. you really do the music. Like, oh, oh, yeah, that's nice. It's pretty cool. That, <laughs> that would be cool. really fun for a little kid. And, <laughs> and God bless their parents if they don't have fifty bucks after that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so the universe that well I want to d- dive into tonight is one that. Um, I didn't even realize that it was a thing until just a few years ago. And I got bored on a rain day or a snow day at Hinkle and um, was sitting there and clicking through a couple of web pages. And I don't know how I ended up on this, but the Disney Pixar universe and how it all works together. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned this earlier when I we did. were talking about some conspiracy theories. And I, yeah, I did. And like I said, whenever I clicked on this, the first thing I saw was this, this little short, like two or three minute video. And I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. And then started clicking the links that were under that. And it is a really, really fleshed out thing. Yeah. Now I had heard the same thing that they were all the same universe, but I always kind of pictured it as just, you know, um, they just like Marvel Cinematic Universe. They don't necessarily like, all all tie together. They're just yeah, happening in the they same. They just all happen in the same right, right. general universe. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. And then I started reading about this because we were going to talk about it. And holy smokes. Not only is it the same universe, but it's a singular storyline. It is one story. If if the theory's this theory correct. holds up. <laughs> which, and there's a lot of evidence. I mean, there really is. I don't know if it's a grand scheme, if there's a giant playbook that they're just pulling movies out of here and there. I, I don't know how it's working, but it is. It's working. Um, because it, it, it ties together. There's so many things, and they drop little hints in each movie. And, and, and when you start looking for them, it, it, it's mind-blowing. It really, really is. So... <laughs> it it does get to me and and I'm wondering is it well I don't know it it it's twisted I got to say that <laughs> it's so twisted and it really bent my mind when I started reading about this stuff yeah yeah it, it's fun <laughs> so so tonight we want to talk you through the the twisted tangled world universe of uh, Pixar. Pixar, yes, absolutely. And, 
you know, of course, for those of you who have not seen the Disney Pixar movies, there will be spoilers. I'm just going to let you know. So if you haven't seen them, um, even if you haven't seen them and you want to go ahead and continue listening at this point, it'll at least clue you in on what to look for in some of these movies. So that way you can go, oh, there it is. I, I see. I, I can see where it connects. Well, I got I to gotta say, we're going to talk about some stuff that I don't really consider it spoilers, though, because it's we're not going to ruin key plot elements. No, it's more like the, for Easter most, eggs. For most of the films, we're going to be more talking about Easter eggs and some hidden things. And, and a couple of the films, yeah, we're going to ruin some of the surprises uh, in the film. But... <laughs> Most for the most part, it's just going to be us talking about some of the uh, Easter egg kind of things that are left through the films. So, all of you adults out there that have kids and they have to watch Toy Story, I know my little pumpkin right now is obsessed with Woody and Buzz. They've been playing it like crazy on Disney Junior, and like all she has to do is hear Tom Hanks's voice. It doesn't matter if it's, he's doing the part of Woody or something else. She hears Tom Hanks's voice and her eyes go straight to the television because she expects Woody to be there. Well, um, son. <laughs> so, so for those parents out there that are having to watch these movies over and over and over and over again, hope this part of this is for you because you're going to be the one that gets to see this linear progression that goes through these. So do you want to kick it off, sir? Or would you like me to? I'll try to start. Okay. I'll try to start. So all what we're, what we're going to say is all of the Pixar films are one continuous story. So every story has to have a beginning and an end. Yes. And we have those elements. Absolutely. So the beginning of this story for the most part, as of the research that we could find, which was uh, from a guy, John Negroni, uh, is who I pulled most of my research from. And I pull a lot of my research from the Pixar Theory. It's their website. Um, and it's it, it kind of outlines everything. But, but both of them, they agree on the major points. There's some differences between our two researchings on some of the minor specifics but, but the overarching the large, theme is yeah, there for yeah. for the most part it it's there there's agreement between the two uh the writings both of these i think were written about four or five years ago yeah yeah roughly so some of the newer films aren't included yeah, you, you you basically you don't have i think um i saw an update where we had Inside Out that was put into one, um, the right. Good Dinosaur, Coco, yeah. um, Coco. Some of the newer films yeah. are just now being dropped in um, to the um, to the the John Negroni site. Right. But the the Disney Pixar, the Pixar Theory one uh, by Ninety Seventh Floor is it's it is not um, it hasn't updated those, and I don't know if if they're just not maintaining the site or or what. But it's still this it's a very very thorough uh, fleshed out theory. So right. Yeah, the theory still holds. They're just finding the clues to fit all these films in and and keep them in order. But right. for the most part, we're going to start in the world of Brave. 14th and 15th century. So we're talking, you know, 13, 1400s, times. right? Yeah, medieval times. Okay. This And, and uh, in Brave, we all know that the story follows Merida, the lovely fiery little redhead. And she discovers that there is magic in the world. 
Right. And the magic that she finds is through the will of the wisps. Yep. And she uses that magic to try to solve all of her problems. But in doing so, she accidentally turns her mother into a bear. Right. And she traces the source of the magic down to this odd kind of goofy old witch that lives out away from everybody. And, uh, but you also learn in this film that she observes that, um, after using the magic that the animals start to act very more human like, very human. Like they take on human, human characteristics. They start to take on human characteristics and such. Right. We also learn that the witch, uh, every time she goes through a door, she disappears mysteriously she, she, she just, just kind of vanishes, vanishes. yeah yeah so it's like Mary she goes, can't find her right so she'll she'll yeah she'll she'll step through a door Mer, uh, merida follows her to you know ask question or try to you know track her down and she's gone like instantly now in my in the theory that i've i've seen here eventually this will-o'-wisp um magic that has been you know that has that they have found in this world it, um it spawns the birth of supers, superpowers in certain humans. So you take um, this power basically just kind of slowly evolving for roughly 400 plus years, 400 to 500 years. Um, by the time you get to the 1950s and 60s, um, which is the time that The Incredibles takes place, then... Um, superheroes, they are the ones that are kind of maintaining order in this world where, I mean, you still have the animals that are, that are doing their thing They're you know, but you don't really hear a whole lot about that in the Incredibles, but their arch nemesis in this theory, Buddy, which is the bad guy, of course, um, he creates two different elements that he wants to bring down this world with. The first being self-serving AI bots, which would be like the Omnidroid. The other is this power that he keeps using, this, this energy source that he keeps using that's called ZPE, zero-point energy. Um, it's like an electromagnetic, electromagnetic energy source, and it exists in like this vacuum. Um, and this at this point, this is where we start to see the machines like taking on roles and eradicating their threat, which would be the supers. Um, now you jump forward just a little bit and this energy that is unleashed by Buddy is going to eventually get to a point to where other like inanimate objects are going to absorb this power. Um, I'm thinking that, that John does his theory just a little bit different right here at this, this is the point where the two kind of separate. Right. Yeah. So the theory John has or, or, you know, he, he and his collaborators, I'm not sure that this work is exclusively his, but on his site, the way they pose the theory is that all of this stems back to the magic from the Will of the Wisps, that that magic forks and what happens is some of it splits off and kind of pushes the evolution of animals into more intelligent and being more human-like as we see some of the animals acting in Brave. And another part of that pushes off into influencing other inanimate objects 
uh, sort of like what we see in the witch's workshop. You can see some brooms moving, moving around like, by yeah. themselves and doing human kind of things without anybody interacting with them. Uh, and then from there, over the course of time, those two, those two uh, separate kind of delineations of the magic evolve further as time goes. Right. And also in the Disney Pixar universe, this is where you start to see the split of their two films, or, or their, I guess they're the core of their films. Because on the right. one side, you have the animal side. On the other side, you have the object side. Um, you get like 97, 98, 99. You have Toy Story. So yeah. you get these these things that are going on with the objects. Okay, real quick okay. while you're talking. Uh, well, when we're talking about the years, we're not talking about chronological release of the films no we're no. referencing the time, time periods that that the movies are believed to take place right right this is a time yeah the timeline itself is a is the timeline of the the right. of the the universe not when they were released so yeah. 97 98 99 this is when toy story is supposed to have taken place um so at and then within just a couple of years of that two to five years from that you also have like finding nemo and ratatouille which shows what's happening with the animals. So you have basically they're 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 looking at okay, this is what happens on land, this is what happens with some of the animals in the ocean and then with Ratatouille as well. Um 2007-ish in you know with with Linguini and and all of that. So um but the Toy Story, this is the first time that we start to see these inanimate objects really coming to life and having their own personality. Um now they are they they the toys themselves these sentient objects they come up with a code of rules they learn these things um they learn that humans love is like another energy source and they're able to tap this because obviously they're toys and kids love their toys so this is something that they thrive on and they get to a point where they are obsessed with making their owners happy um and that can be seen throughout with every one of Andy's toys where he scribbles his little name on their foot. Um, that is a, that is a mark for them and they are so proud of that mark and they will do pretty much anything to get back to Andy and to make sure that he is pleased. Um, now when they are isolated, they're put on um, display like in a museum or something like that, where you like, kind of like what you see in toy story two, um, specifically with Jesse, where she was abandoned by her owner, her human, um, they start to resent their their owners. They start to get angry. Um, now, this doesn't necessarily, you know, d diminish their power as far as like the 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 energy that drives these inanimate objects. However, it does affect their world because when they're not pleasing their humans. At that point, you know, bad things start to happen, and and you can see that with Prospector, you can see that with Jesse. I mean, and and the only one of those though that little group that really doesn't have that issue is Bullseye, and he just seems to be the the dumb lucky little guy that you. you, you I mean, I don't know, I don't know. Bullseye is just he's so innocent. That's that's the thing with Bullseye. So with the Toy Story movies and in the the theory that I've seen that's that really is really where you start to see these um, inanimate objects that have absorbed this will-o-wisp 
power that's evolved over the years and became, um, I don't know, their own sentient beings. They're going to eventually, it's it's going to lead down this this rabbit hole even further. <laughs> I guess you'd say. Right. So, I want to start after the split. I want to talk about the animal side. Okay. Um, to kind of keep it in a little bit more, a little bit more of a chronological. Yeah, storyline order, because uh, the AI side, the 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 inanimate object side, kind of leaps. It does. So I'll, it I'll, does. Let, let, I want to talk about the animals for a little while. So we see some of the further evolution of the animals in Ratatouille and Finding Nemo, and then Up and Finding Dory. Those, right. Those films. Right. In Ratatouille, we see that Remy wants to learn how to cook. And it's something that only humans do. So he starts to make a relationship with this human and experiment and, and become a chef. And you, you notice that the animals are capable of overcoming their base natures, their fear of humans, and kind of making one of those steps forward in being more than what their base animal side right. should be. You even get to a point with, with Ratatouille that he, like Remy even goes to the point of controlling Linguini. Um, like more or less, arm yeah. movement. I mean, we're talking, it, it's, it's hilarious. The, the sequence is hilarious to yeah. watch, but the, the amount of control that, that Remy, the rat has over this human is unreal. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And like you say, it's because they have developed this cognitive skill um, and they are becoming more human-like. Right. And then in Finding Nemo, you got all these animals that have these little towns and they've got schools where they teach their children. This is all kind of based off, you know, human society type structures. But just a real quick there. In that, mm -hmm. the school bus... Being the 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 stingray, I thought he was a teacher. No, the stingray he, is he not the bus? Isn't he not like the one that takes them from place to place? They are all like swimming on top of him, and he'll drop them off places. Yeah, but he's I thought he is was he the teacher, teacher as well. Yeah. He may be the teacher. I he thought takes that them was on awesome. field trips. Yeah, that was awesome. That was a really really awesome little little thing yeah. that they threw in there. <laughs> um, but in in Finding Nemo and and in uh, later on in Finding Dory, which isn't in the uh, well anyway. Uh, the, the thing that we see in the movies is all of, most of the other fish shun Dory because of her intelligence. Right. She's, she's she has inadequate. She's not up to par with all the rest of the fish. She's forgetful and dumb. And so they shun her. Uh, and that just kind of shows that the fish are evolving. The animal life is evolving. They're becoming more intelligent and they don't want to associate with things that remind them of their past. Right. And she is more fish-like. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's more like... What, she's, she's kind of the missing link. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She kind of bridges the gap between fish and what the wildlife is becoming at this point through the the influence of the Will-O-The-Wisp magic. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then in Finding Dory, it, if we do throw that one in there... We are, we go back and we see where she was actually part of a display 
um, at an aquarium. She made friends with pretty much everyone. And even her parents in that film realize that she's different, that she's not like the one, the others around her. Right. Um, and they try to shelter her and they try to protect her from, from, you know, what they know is coming because they try to help her learn to deal with her inadequacies. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, and it's, it's, it's one of those films that's, that's fairly eye opening whenever you start to look at, you know, how the animals interact in the Pixar universe, because I mean, you, you start to see like social classes and, you know, social norms and things of that nature in this, this little world. Um, and yeah, it, it, it that one is, it, it's pretty amazing when you look at, you know, like you say, the fact that all of this is taking place in one storyline. So, right. So after we get past Ratatouille and, uh, finding Nemo and finding Dory. Yep. And that's roughly 2003, 2007 ish. According to yeah. mine anyway. Is that yeah. where you're about where you're, where you're at? Roughly. Yeah. Okay. They're a few years apart, but roughly. Then we get, uh, the next one that we come to is with dealing with the animal side of things is up. Okay. Okay. And in up, we see a further jump where now the animals are even more or less directly communicating with people. Right. Not just, not just as Remy and Linguini with the kind of marionette puppet show kind of thing. Doug, actually, the dog Doug yep. actually is verbally communicating with um, the people. I can't, I'm totally blanking on their names now. Well, see, Carl discovers Carl. that these, yeah, that these, these animals can communicate. <laughs> Um, he starts to he starts to recognize these norms, these these things, these interactions, and these norms that are happening in the animal world, and creates the collar, um, it, which effectively taps into the brain of the dog, and he can now talk through the collar and communicate directly with with Carl, um, which is a huge step forward. For the animal side. Right. And now here, here's here's an interesting little twist from John. Okay. So the guy that creates the collar was Charles Muntz. The, right. Charles Muntz. The, the villain of Up. Uh, yeah, not Carl. I, yeah, Carl right. was the old man yeah. that floated Carl his house and on Charles. The Pretty close <clears throat> together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so what if Charles Muntz got his idea for creating this collar because he had heard of these relationships, these hyper-intelligent animals from Chef Skinner, who was the bad guy from Ratatouille, who just kind of disappears by the end of the film. Right. He just, he's gone. Yeah. So, you know, what maybe, maybe Chef Skinner talking to some people. Says, and one of these people, what happened yeah, here to me? Telling people this crazy story about what he saw at his restaurant. And Charles actually dives in and says, wait, 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 yeah. there may be something here. Yeah. So then Charles Muntz uses that rumor to start building up and develop this technology to uh, harness the thoughts of animals, primarily in his case, dogs. Right. Through the translator callers. And I do believe that if, you know, just in my own theory th thrown in here, mm -hmm. specifically with the reason that he uses dogs is because of ease of access. Everybody's got dogs. They're everywhere. And the, it's something that could be fitted around their neck, it's not like you're fitting it around a bear or something. So 
But anyway, and that's they're my, easy to train. They're easy. To, yeah, absolutely. So I think that that was probably why that was chosen. So then, anyway, he winds up freeing Doug and all the other dogs after he dies. We don't really know what happens after all that yet. Maybe that'll come in another film. Who knows? They start to cross the line there of being right. subservient creatures. They all they're starting to become equals at this point. Right. This is kind of the tipping point between the animals <coughs> and the humans. Um, on and, the oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, and then here, here's what I want to say on on the. The, the twist of the theory here is that <clears throat> soon to be, we're going to come to a point where there starts to be a struggle for survival. There, there's a point where the animals realize that people are destroying the planet. Right. And that they have to stop it. Right. And the only way that they can stop it is to get rid of the people. Right. That's, their, that's, that's the ultimate, okay, this is our fix. Right. So on the other side, the AI side of this, at the same time, really, that, or kind of in between there, right about the time when Up is taking place, you have Toy Story 3 that also takes place. Right. Yep. Um, this is three years later. Um, toys have gone through a bunch. I mean, a lot with humans because, I mean, we're, we're, we've seen Toy Story 1, Toy Story 2. We know what's done to them. I mean, just th- take poor Sid and the toys that are, that are around him bad situation for toys they've been abused they've been um, you know both physically and emotionally by humans um and in toy story three you have lotso which is the little pink ish purplish hugging bear um he just like hates humans like he we we see why in the film um his human basically loses him they go out on this like this road trip picnic type thing and he gets left behind along with the, the little baby doll, and they eventually make it back to the house to just to see that they've been replaced, both of them. They are they, they look in the window, and the little girl that lost Lotso and the baby doll, her mom has bought her a new Lotso doll and a new baby doll. And he realizes at that point that he, as well as all other toys, are completely replaceable. And it, the the animosity and anger toward humans at that point just overflows with this guy with this guy so he starts trying to take care of his own kind his own like the toys and he starts he, he creates this hierarchy where he is kind of the head guy and starts really watching out for the toys to the point that any threat he puts in the preschool room so that way the little kids can destroy them. Um, this is another reason, though, that the machines and objects, they're, they're ready to take over at this point because he's, his, he's not the only one that sees this. Um, it's just kind of a thing that's, that's, that's going on throughout this entire world. Um, Carl and Ellie, which is from Up, right. they write to Andy telling him to get rid of his toys. They know the, what's what's going on. We know that because we see a postcard that's written, or a note that's written to Andy, um, and we know that it was for, from them because, like, the names, the address, everything is there. And it's basically saying, get rid of your toys. We know what's about to happen. Um, and so at that point, we know that Carl and, and 
um, Ellie are still around and they're, they're, everything is okay with them. So it, it's, it's got to be, it's just before the movie Up that Toy Story 3 takes place because Ellie's still alive. Elderly, but still alive. So at that point, my theory jumps way ahead. Does, okay. where, where does yours go? Well, no, at, at this point, because we've been dealing with the animal side of things, so mm-hmm. at this point, we've gotten up to Toy Story and Finding Finding Nemo. Yep, and, and Ratatouille and up. and up. Yeah. So now my my story jumps back a little bit. Okay, so yours goes backward just a touch. Yeah, because we, we we go through the animals first, and right. and you know all the stuff that's going on in Finding Nemo and the pollution and the animal experimentation and all this stuff, mm-hmm. and that kind of explains the animal motivations. Right. So now we're going to jump back a little bit, and we're going to talk about. Now you said that Buddy creates the zero point energy and all this stuff. Yeah, and the theory that 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 is written up on on PixarTheory.com, Buddy is the one that creates these two things for for bringing down the superpowered humans, um, right. the Omnidroid and the zero point energy. Now yours is different though, right? Mine's a little different because mine says all of this all stems back from the Will of Wisp. Right. That so. Um, you know, Buddy is the big villain syndrome, right? Is the big villain who commits genocide against all the supers, right? Right. Or is he? Well, see, that's the thing you were talking about. He didn't have any superpowers. No, no. He's he using his technology. What, what does he use? Technology. He uses technology. He has a artificially intelligent robot omnidroid right that he sends out to learn all the superheroes abilities and then eliminate them so the two well the, the thing is 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 the difference here i think in your theory or in my theory he creates that and my theory kind of stipulates that maybe he didn't so much create it right. as befriend it so it's already there it was it had already come around to be um and what what were the biggest threat to the to the machines, the same as the animals at this point would have been the superheroes, and you even see footage of the superheroes being taken out by inanimate objects, like airplanes, right, and other things. Or were they inanimate objects? Or were they intelligent, right? Or were they intelligent? And and you might be asking, why would these things be going after? Humans, well, because they're the biggest threat to the planet. Right. We're right. destroying the planet. And there's other reasons. Uh, we know all the stuff that we're doing to the animals. And like like Mr. Ham here is saying, we come to find out in Toy Story all the abuse and neglect and all the stuff that the the toys have been put through. Uh, you see that they rise, they even violate their own primary self-imposed, you know, inanimate object status in front of a human right? to take off, take on Sid. Uh, Jesse is upset with Emily for abandoning her. Hugging Bear hates all humans by the end of the third film. Yeah, Lotso, yeah. And now with all the superhumans gone, mankind is vulnerable. You got the animals that are trying to rise up. You got all the, our planet of the apes. Yep. You have the inanimate objects, the AI. And now you've also 
that's rising Got this up. AI that's rising up, but we're, they're we're, never overthrown. Right. And this, I mean, we're the squishy ones. The humans are the right. squishy part of this, right? Yeah. But it never happens. It Well, no, no, it doesn't happen as in all out war, you know, Matrix style or anything like that. But I think the de-evolution of humans by these other you know, factions that are taking on, taking on this universe is ultimately the downfall of humans. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of the overarching. That's the the plan, the move, anyway. Or, well, it never happened. Or does it happen? Well, maybe. I mean, if you look at it in in the story of the films, who ultimately removes humans from the planet? Ultimately, yeah, there is a corporation, right? And this corporation is this thing that 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 exists throughout multiple Pixar films, yep. and the corporation is called, by and large, BNL. Right. You see it everywhere. It's the batteries that power. But who's BNL? The man, <laughs> or is artificial, it artificial intelligence? Artificial right? intelligence taking over. A corporation, a faceless entity, it can't be. be seen. It could be. That could be. Um, I can see that for sure. Absolutely, I can see that for sure. Um, it is one of the common threads through a lot of these films, and almost every one of them, um, by and large, is in some way portrayed, whether okay. it be through batteries or whether it be through fuel source for cars or through... Um, you know, Pizza Planet owned by by and large corporation, or you know the 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 supermarket B and L supermarket and Wally. What all of these B and L is there, and the firm that's trying to expand the city that's going to destroy Charles or Carl's house is by and large is by and large it's corporation. And, yeah, and that's that's the it's the catalyst for the whole balloon you know fiasco yeah. going up. So huh? yeah, by and large, by and large is it, it is kind of. If if the Will o' Wisp and magic is the 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 means of this is kind of the push that gets it going by and large is right so but but like yeah. I said my theory stipulates the the theory I'm I'm following here right stipulates that by and large is actually controlled by an AI that's making the decisions to get rid of the humans, to preserve the planet. And I can see that. And I don't want to jump too far forward in our um, our timeline here. Right. But we see that in Wally, specifically right. in Wally. So when we get to Wally, that I think that will be an, a, an overarching theme of that. Okay. Well, that's where I'm heading. Where are you going? Toy Story. Or not Toy Story. Um, cars, one and two. Because after Up... Well, in my theory here, in the theory that I have here, in, you have in, in the chronological order though. It, it, the, this is chronological for this for this outline. Well, okay, so we have a little difference here. Okay, so the way the way I'm understanding it is what happens in, next in with cars. Yours? Okay, okay, well, well, we'll talk about it a little bit in cars. Right, there's right. no people. There are no people. So in but, my and theory, there's a there's a there's a big time jump between up. And cars on mine. Same. Okay. But in my theory, this is where 
by and large has through the growth and industrialization of the world has made it uninhabitable by humans at this point. Okay. So and they have had, this is at this point is when they have had to load everybody onto the axiom. Right. And send them out. Right. Then we come to cars. Okay. Okay. So let's do uh, exactly. So that's what happens. You you get a, a, a so time. We, we kind of have to talk a little bit about Wally to get to, to get cars. to cars. Right. And then we come back to the main plot of to Wally. Wally. Absolutely. So let's do that then. So between up and cars, at that point we have this evolution of mankind basically destroying the planet. Right. And it gets to a point that it is uninhabitable. Um, Earth has just it's dying. The, the right. all of the the vegetation is gone. The BNL Corporation has basically turned Earth into Coruscant. If if you if for any Star Wars geeks that are out there, it's just one giant city. That's a world. That's oh. a city. Okay. Yeah. So they basically turn this into this, and there's junk and garbage everywhere. Right. So pollution. Pollution. Um, the few little vestiges of civilization that is still habitable. Is not habitable by humans, but it is habitable habitable by these inanimate objects that have now their own life and personality. Right. I.e., cars. They don't need the vegetation. They don't need all they need food. is food. All they need is fuel and oil and some maintenance right. done on them, and they're good to go. So, yep. somewhere between up and cars. The axiom is loaded up. What humans are left are sent into space, and they they basically say we're going to clean. We're we're going to leave people. There are these robots behind to clean up our mess. And while that's going on, you have an entire, I guess, subspecies, the cars that take over and do cars their own and thing. Planes and yeah, I mean they are basically what's left behind, right? Which is another one of those interesting. Things where this magic, the will-o'-wisp magic, has infiltrated these inanimate objects, such as cars and planes and helicopters, and or, all that or kind in of your stuff. case, the zero-point energy, or the zero-point energy. All of this stuff is 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 there, and that's what makes these things work, right? Right. So, at this point, we're and, in cars, and right? we're in cars, and we know that cars takes place on our Earth, roughly, not not a different planet, nope, because they go to all these other countries and they go to the other countries and they go to landmarks that we recognize. The, yeah. They Route go to human landmarks. Is still there. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it is, you see it, you've seen, it's terrible looking. It, there's nothing yeah. hardly left over right. of it. So, yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, that's exactly what I'm saying though. You know, it's our earth. Right. Because they visit landmarks that, that humans made. Right. So that's right. how, that's how we know that cars takes place on earth. Even use our language. I mean, the, well, v, the I mean, V8 cafe, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. So, right. Um, so, after the pollution is is to a point where humans can't be here, cars, the machines take over. They, they, um, the machines help humans a little bit. For, according to this one, it says here that machines save the humans and, and they won the war. However, since the machines helped humans win, it tipped the balance on Earth. And then the machines, the BNL Corporation, had to send the remaining humans off in the Axiom to basically put the Earth back to a point where it's inhabitable by humans. Now, that's completely now, different we, than what John says. Yeah, now, his, his is completely different. Yeah. So the animals and the machines win. Right. 
because it's the animals and the machines that versus the humans. Right. So they have successfully accomplished their goal of pushing mankind off the planet. Right. And then we have... You said the animals and the machines? The animals and the machines. Okay, so now in this one, it's, it, mine specifically says that it, it can't be the animals because nothing is left but the machines. The only thing that is left is the insects, like small things, like the cockroach that's in Wally. But the animals themselves are also gone. So, I mean, both theories can ring true, but that's just the, 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 the thing that they put in here to back up what they say. Well, but so the machines and the animals were both working to try to push humans out. Right. The problem was the machines pushed too far and made the, the entire planet completely uninhabitable. So you end up having so, the animals gone and the humans gone. So they killed off all okay. the animals because of the pollution. Okay. But they pushed the humans. The humans fled on the axiom. Right. Right. But yeah. But yes. It, 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 it's the same. It's the realistically same. Yeah. the same. Yes. It's yeah. just that in mind, the humans and, or the animals and the machines both are trying to work to push the humans off to save the planet. Right. But the machines get so much more advanced, so much more quickly, and they have so much more reaching power through the by and large corporation that they carry it way overboard. Right. And wind up making the planet completely uninhabitable for life. Right. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. So. Yeah. And so anyway, they push everybody off and then we get to cars and planes and all those ultimately what happens so ultimately according to what i've got here we that's when after these the cars like timeline takes place which would be roughly between 2100 and 2200 um you're looking at um even the cars themselves are a polluting source, a pollution source, right. to the point that um, they even look at all in all or all in oil or whatever it is that corporation um, for green energies and things like that to try to clean themselves up, and doesn't work. I mean, they they pollute it to a point to where even they can't really survive on this well, planet. There is a theory here about that as well, right? If if you were to look at that, what what what's the phrase all in all? All in all, all in all. All in all, isn't it pretty much the same as the phrase "by and large"? Yeah, yeah, and it's it actually it says the all in all corporation um, was actually run by B and L, uh, by and large corporation um, that eventually pollute the whole earth to the point that uh, with its uses of oil and fossil fuels that it can't sustain life by anything except the most you know um, uh, we're talking cockroaches. What will be left after the nukes? You know. Um, so the cars become decommissioned. Um, we have no humans that are feeding with the energy that they have. And also, I want to jump in right there, too, because the new theory about Inside Out, I really, really liked what they threw in there, where it talked about um, Pixar in, in, in roughly 2005-ish era revealing the source of this human energy that all these inanimate objects are feeding off of and how emotion is that fuel and how different emotions create different levels of energy. And <clears throat> this is demonstrate, demonstrated you know, through the different um, 
you know, the different emotions that this little girl has in the, the movie uh, Inside Out. Um, like joy, the, the, her, her, her little, it, 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 her joy. And I can't remember the little blue one. I can't, uh, she was effectively depression, but I don't remember what, what her name was, but, um, I don't it, remember. Yeah. I don't remember, but, um, you know, they are on this quest and, and it shows the, just the amount of energy, the energy levels that those two characters had. I mean, you basically have joy dragging around the little blue one by the foot through most of the film. And right. I mean, it's like, she just never runs out of power. And it, it really demonstrates where these, like the toys and the cars and any, anything that feeds off of that human emotion power is, is it, it can pull that even if it's, you know, like even the cars being disconnected from the humans. I think it, that might even lead to a point where they start to, demo, you know, they start to, to fail. Well, so yeah, you're, you're getting to it real quick. Um, so what, what we, what we think here is on the, on this side, on John's side. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in, we, we, we get finished with all that. We come back to Wally now after cars and after all that, now we're to the, to the actual main core story plot of Wally. Okay. All the humans are gone. Mm-hmm. But um, why don't you see? I mean, why is it that Wally is the only robot left? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why? basically, he's the only little guy that's there's running no, around. There's no more there. cars running around. Nope. There's no more other an- inanimate objects. And everything is just, it's like, uh, just, it's like deserted and dirty and just. Right. Yeah, it's just... So, why is it that Wally's the only one left? Well, I think it has to do with what we just said. Well, we know that Wally begins 800 years after humans left on the axis. Right, so roughly... Mine says 2800, so yeah. Which was... Right right around 8,000 or 800 years. Because roughly 2,000... And the axiom is completely governed by the autopilot. Yes, it is. Which is another AI. By and large, is the creator. It's right on the outside of their ship. So how come Wally's the only one left? We can only assume that it's his fascination with humans. And their culture. And the little emotional attachment he has created with a cockroach. Yes, that's allowed him to keep finding that level of fulfillment. Yeah, it's his in his daily routine. It is his reason to get up each morning. But that's why <laughs> he was special and was able to liberate the humans. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, so after he liberates them and brings them, it brings everybody back. They land the axiom. The humans disembark. This is again where we have a little bit of difference. Okay. Um, not much, but just a tiny bit. We see that they bring that little shoe out that's got the little tiny tree in it. Yeah, and actually and plant it. Right. And I think in both of our theories though, where it moves that is the same. It's just Yeah. Yes. So this little shoe that has the tree that grows into this and they show another shot later of the tree as it's developed. Uh-huh. And it looks very, very, very familiar. <laughs> and it's a reason why we didn't mention this film earlier when we were talking about the animals. Right. 
This one is from A Bug's Life. Right. That central tree is the tree that Bug's Life starts out around. Yep. It says the same plant here we see in Wally grew into the tree in A Bug's Life. Yep. Um, but now here's something, too. Because of all of the, the things that have gone on in, in with animals, with um, the the you know the terrible pollution that we've had, the animals themselves have still this moved forward in evolution to a point where they're they're talking to one another, they're doing these human characteristics. Right. And um, it also tells us that these ants that are in a bug's life live much longer than your normal ant. Typical ant lives about three months. These, they specifically, one of them states he feels 90 again. So that would be roughly 90 days because each one of their days is a year for them. So um, hmm. they, you know, they're they, they able to live much, much, much longer. And a lot of them have alluded to them, you know, living through an entire season because they're able to see what has happened and prepare for the things to come. So that was an, an interesting little just sidebar. That yeah. Well, I and, and it is just a, how do we know what, what makes, what makes the theories place a bug's life so far into the future like this? Uh, is is primarily because of the lack of people, right? Uh, a Bug's Life and Cars are pretty much the only two films that are human free that don't have humans in them, right? Right. And why are there no humans in a Bug's Life anywhere? The theory is that because it takes place so far in the future that Action. there's so few humans left. Yeah. That they just never encounter. Here. Yeah, I mean, you got to figure Axiom had, what, a few thousand people on it? Yeah, a very small Very number. small number. And when they come back, I mean, they have to repopulate the planet. Right. Um, it says that they don't mention humans because there are very few humans uh, to make it danger enough, uh, dangerous enough for insects to worry about. Um, but they do... Um, they do mention things like snakes, birds, bigger bugs that are out there. Um, so those things are, are in the world that takes place in a bug's life. But humans, they're so few, they don't see them, and they're, they're just not worried about it. And that they mention those does show that the animal life has also started to return to the planet. Right. Right. You have an evolution of uh, that's, that's taking place, and the ants themselves are an evolutionary jump forward to, from what was, you know, the ant. Um, even a, an evolutionary jump forward from the cockroach from Wally. Right. So now there's one film left that we haven't discussed at all. Yeah, we haven't even mentioned it, I don't think. You have. Have I? A little bit. Oh. I didn't know I did. But okay. I think. Maybe you didn't. I Maybe know. I inferred that you mentioned it. Maybe. I don't know. So, there, But there's one film left. <laughs> I have two, but they they kind of take place in the same... Well... Yeah. Yeah. Monsters, <laughs> Inc. is the last film yep. that... So it is the most distant future of our planet, yep. according to the Pixar. 4,500 to 5,000 years in, you know, is, is the time frame of this. Right. So... Mine starts with Monsters University. Well, I mean, it, yeah, University technically comes first because that's when they were in college. That's where they met. That's before they start working for the power company. Yeah. Um, but mine really glosses over and just kind of runs it into one thing. Okay. Because there's not really key plot differences. Right. Right. So what what happened? 
In Monsters Inc., there's no more people. There, no. Well, no, you can't say that because we get Boo. You can't but, say because she's in the but, movie. But in, but in, in the, the monsters in the universe, universe, in their monsters realm, in the we'll monster civilization. Yeah, and there where they're at, there's no people. Now and we and we said it all takes place on Earth. So it all takes place on so here. how so where are these monsters? How did that fit in? You got, how do they become? Where do they come from? Exactly right. If you're trying to tell me that everything in this takes place in one continuous story, then it better all fit together, to right? And where do you, how do you get to Sully and, and Mike? Right? Yeah, Mike Wazowski. So. According to what I've got here, hundreds of years after Wally takes place, right, um, the animals start to evolve and change due to this radiation that's caused by, by and large, the radiation and pollution. Um, they evolve into the monsters of monsters, University Monsters Inc. world. So they are what's left over of the animals after all of the pollution and all of the terrible things that take place from between up and um the return of humans in Wally. Um but then what happened to all the people from Axiom? Well, hmm, yeah. So we know that this evolution into monsters eventually according to this accidentally wipes humans off the face of the planet. So they're gone. Now this is where it gets tricky. Because, again, we have Boo. Um, Monsters University, founded in 1313, this date is using the Monsters calendar, not ours, um, shows that it took place almost 1,400 years after a bug's life. Monster University, they falsely teach that monsters and humans were toxic and from another dimension, i.e. the doors to get from monsters' dimension into humans' dimension. Um, they were worried about, you know, basically being erased from history, these monsters are, but they didn't really know. No one taught them until the end of Monsters, Inc., really what this is all about. Um, the machines didn't realize the mistake. They didn't realize that getting rid of all the humans was a mistake until it was already too late because humans in this entire universe is fuel for most of what takes place. And it's human emotion that is that fuel, i.e. fear right. in Monsters, Inc., right? So, what have you got over there? Okay, so according to John, okay, on the extras for the Monsters, Inc. DVD, there's a, a little clip in there where they say that there is a myth in the Monsters universe there is a myth that humans that looked like animals rose up, rebelled against all the humans at some point, and overthrew them. So you're talking about the animals being evolved into monsters, rose so up against humans, right? Right. Ultimately, the continued evolution of the animals after this point the humans were never able, apparently, to establish a good foothold and were either overtaken by the animals that were there or, kind of gross maybe, interbred. Right. 
Okay. Yeah. And that would explain how we ultimately get to the evolution of monsters with no humans or no animals. Right. So where does Boo come into all of this? Well, so what happens is all the monsters know that humans are toxic. Right. right. Or that's, that's what they're common taught. knowledge. That's, that's what common. Ta- that's the common knowledge. That's, that's what they're taught at the university. Right. If you ever come in contact with a human, you have to be decontaminated or, you know, you know, right. it's it, the whole process and right. you have to because wear the little collar, yeah. <laughs> you know, the collar, the of, collar shame. of shame, the cone of shame because, <laughs> because humans are toxic. So you can't come in contact with them. That's, that's the common knowledge of the monsters universe. Right. 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 <clears throat> what if, all the monsters were taught this because, in fact, humans are not from another universe and are not toxic. And they're not from another dimension. And they're not from another dimension. They're what? directly from the monster's own past. So we're talking that now we're talking about time travel. Right. And how so that is done, right? If. If you were to go back in time and mess something up by interacting with a person and causing some change, yeah, we we can't we don't want to do back to the future here, right? Possibly with, with a paradox. <laughs> possibly you create a time paradox and erase your whole existence. Right. So they're not allowed to do that. But instead of telling them that that's what's going on, all the monsters are just taught that humans are from another dimension and they're toxic. And if you touch them, you're going to die. Right. Yeah. Now so, here's here. Okay. So, so here, here's the theory. Okay. The monsters are in fact, they have, as you're saying, they have realized that it's humans who are the power of all of this magic. Yes. They are the from fuel. back from the time of Merida. Right. They're what's pushed the evolution. What's pushed the, the forward, the, the forward momentum of the humans, of the machines, of the AI. Right. And it's, and it's all about emo, emotion. Right. Not just in, like in Monsters, Inc., fear, but laughter. Um, the imaginative, the creative spark. Everything. The, all of that in humans. And without the humans, they have no way to further their society. Correct. So they have to go harness this energy. And by doing so, they have to go backward to find the humans because they're gone because all the humans are gone now right and now here's there's there is evidence that shows this there's there are specific pieces of evidence that show this movement backward in time um the easiest one to pick out is randall when he is going through doors he ends up in a little trailer and i actually have it just right here in front of me, it pulled up the picture, the side-by-side shots of um, this little... It's it's a pull-behind little camper trailer. And um, beside it is a pizza truck from Pizza Planet that's parked. Right. And we see Randall through the door, like through the window, um, in the past where he ends up in this trailer that looks almost new or very much more new than you do. Do you see it later? Because like in this, this same scene, a, a lot later in a bug's life, we see the same exact trailer with the same exact pizza planet truck, but it's all worn 
out and run down. Uh, vegetation is is a lot drier, indicating that it's like you know in the future and that it's everything is kind of it, it's it's destroyed and polluted. So we see that for sure right there, um, and we also know that Monsters Inc. takes place well, well, well after A Bug's Life. Right. So we know that they are time jumping at this point. Right. And what if, here's another theory that came out there. What if Edna from The Incredibles got her idea for the invisible suit because she saw Randall? Because she saw Randall? Dude, I love it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yes, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> ah, yeah. So, and we also know that um, a lot of this, uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. So, so anyway. now we've established from Brave to Monsters, Inc., we have a flowing, continuous timeline of the Disney Pixar universe, right? No, we're not done. We're not done. We're not done. We're, wait, wait, wait. We got it. You said that. You, yeah. you said a that beginning, Monsters Inc. You was said the beginning. End. You said beginning and end. I didn't say anything about beginning and end. I said that they all are connected in the same universe. Right, but you said you said that Monsters Inc. is the furthest in the future. Furthest in the and, future. And you said that that is chronicled at the moment. That Brave is the beginning. Is what? the beginning of it all. Yes. Well, there's the dinosaur one, right? Which obviously dinosaurs come before humans, so but, that would have to be back there. But exactly. Hmm. But there's a glitch. There is a disturbance in the force. There is a little girl <laughs> that I'm not sure I like where you're going with that, this. That really, really sets all of this in motion. And it's with one of the earliest films. I mean, um, when we go back and we look at the the, the films that, that started Pixar, um, that really got them going, that, that, that had them take off, we, you look back at Toy Story. That was their big one, right? And then Monsters, Inc. came along. Um, and the Monsters, Inc., really is the one where they they said okay this this needs to be we need to really think about the universe that all of this takes place in because i think it all happens in the same spot and this little girl boo that sully um just falls head over heels for because she's just a little doll is right. the 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 catalyst for the entire disney pixar universe yes the emotion is the energy but if you don't have a tool to focus that energy, it's useless. She is that tool. Now, sweet little boo, boo never gets over Sully. We know that. She's, even in the movie, she's trying to, to, to coax him. To, she's begging him to stay. She wants right. him to be with her. She offers him her Nemo. She offers him her little Jessie doll. She she's trying. She's giving him her most prized possessions, right? To try to get Sully to stay, and he knows he can't. He knows he can't. And instead, the the door gets shredded. And Mike works for a long time to try to get that door to put back together. 
Mike Wachowski. Mike Wachowski. So she, she remembers throughout from her childhood that doors are the, the link to finding Sully. She knows that he came out of her closet door. Kitty. Kitty came out of the closet door. I'm going to find Kitty again, and I'm going to go through that door to find him. Okay. She eventually figures out how to use these doors, the time travel part of this. Um, and specifically, it's wooden doors. No other type of door is used in e- either monster m- movie uh, film. It has to be a wooden door. They shred them. That's one of the things that, that they do to, to lock down that area, that door. Right. Um, so when she figures out how this time travel is, is used using wooden doors, she starts to, to search for Sully. She, she's going, trying nonstop to find him, which drops her effectively at any point in the Disney Pixar universe. She can start from Brave and end at Monsters, Inc. and drop in at any point in time. That being said, she ends up going back to the source of all this magic. The Will-O-Wisps. She creates magic to find Sully. She's the one that harnesses this Will-O-Wisp power. We know this because she's in Brave. She's just not recognizable. You're full of it. (laughs) The old witch in Brave is our little boo. So we know this for sure because in her little workshop where she is a woodcarver, she has carved um, a picture of Sully. It's either in the tree itself or the door frame. I cannot remember exactly where the, the spot is that she has carved. But, um, oh, it's, it's just in a piece of wood that's kind of just setting off to the side. Um, very, very, very detailed picture of Sully. And she's carving the pizza truck. Um, the two, her two favorite things in the world. So, um, like, it's, yeah. She's also carving a, a statue of David. Or the, not David, the thinking man. The thinker. Yeah, the thinking man. Um, that's what she does. But she she basically got back there and got stuck. Um, never could find her long lost Sully, Kitty. So she she found the way to travel through the doors, but she never kind of like Sam from Quantum Leap. Never know where you're going to end up. She couldn't find out where she ends up. Which also explains why we end up with. The bugs from A Bug's Life, like Flick and Heimlich from A Bug's Life showing up in Toy Story 2. At some point, Boo traveled, must have traveled into the future and had, and fell into the Wally time period uh, era. When she came back out, she brought bugs with her. They were just on her clothing and dropped them off in Toy Story. because Or they saw her and followed her out of curiosity, maybe. Possibly. That's possible as well. At that, uh, but at that, that point, I mean, they were hyper-intelligent creatures. But Buzz just, I mean, he, 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 they're right in front of him. He moves a branch out of the, out of the way with them on it, the, you know, with Flick and Heimlich on it. So, huh. 
Um, and yeah, so she finds out that this that that wood is this the source of all of this power, like the the magic. The the it's think of Avatar, the the trees having this interconnected. Um, it, it's like they're it's it's basically they 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 describe Pandora as being having more synaptical like connections than the human brain. This thing is is the planet speaks. And the trees are how you access it. She oh, okay. kind of figures this out. I've never seen I've never seen Avatar. So, oh, oh. good film for right. for a watch. Um, but yeah, so they find out that the, all of the doors are made of wood. Um, it has this energy to travel through time. Uh, Bugs Life. This is the. It's also this wood. The, the tree is the source of Flick's ingenuity. Um, and you're right. It bears a resemblance to the tree. That we see, like in Up with Carl and Ellie, um, it's it, the the tree kind of is another part of all of this that fits together. So, so what okay. does John say about all this? All right. Well, I was playing a little bit. I know he says the same thing, um, sort of. Not so much about wood, but just that uh, Sully going back in time enamors Boo. Right, who you you said also later is Andy's mom. I think so. I think at some and point in there she drops in and she becomes Andy's mom simply because again she has the Jesse doll. We know that um, Jesse was you know her owner, which was um, oh what was her name Emily. Um, we never do get Boo's name. We never right. get the witch's name. Nope. Um, Sully calls or, her Boo. Or Andy's mom. And we never get Andy's mom's name. So um, I think that she's probably the same person. And, and there's a couple of key little things. Um, and I just This is just really quick sidebar. Andy's hat that he constantly right. is wearing throughout Toy Story 1 and 2 um, is not a Woody hat. Woody hat. It's right. not a Woody hat. Woody's hat is brown. Um, Woody's hat has... Um, brown stitch or kind of tan stitching on um, the outside edge of it, and it has a dark brown band. the the um, The one that he's wearing is actually the girl Jesse's hat. It's right. a it's a red hat with white stitching around it. You can see where the band was at one time. You can't necessarily because the band is gone. Um, meaning that that hat belonged to. Andy's mom. It was a hand-me-down. Mm-hmm. Um, probably Woody was as well because he is a toy from the past. She abandons Jesse. She basically donates Jesse, and and um, but at she, uh, I think that she probably um, lets Jesse and um, and the horse. Oh. I've never seen. I've seen the first <sighs> Toy Story, man. It doesn't have any of those people in it. Okay. So, so anyway, anyway, she lets those two go. Um, I think it's because she knows that she's having a little boy at some point. I mean, I think I think because it's right about the time that she's going off to college, she drops the box, box off for donation. So I think at that point she knows she's having a little boy, so she keeps Woody. She keeps her hat. And eventually those end up as Andy's. Right on. So, so John says pretty much the same thing. Um, so maybe instead of 
us having a nice linear story, we've got a circular one. So Boo becomes enamored with Kitty and she wants to know why all the animals and stuff around her aren't as smart as Sully and Mike and why they don't act that way and talk. And it sparks the curiosity in her to try to find them again. And she remembers that doors were the key to finding Kitty. Right. Cause that's where you came from. And so she eventually somehow now John doesn't have a really good explanation for this, but eventually somehow she figures out how to make the magic of the doors or the technology of the doors work to incorporate time travel. And she ultimately travels, serially travels through the doors, trying to find Sully. She never makes it back to him, but in the end, she winds up way back in ancient Scotland as the witch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he says pretty much the same thing. It's amazing. But to, yeah. to think that these children's films have gone to a point in detail that they all work together. They all have little Easter eggs in each one of them that alludes to the other. Um, and to, to, to now as an adult, because like I said, my little pumpkin is watching, she, she is experiencing Disney Pixar movies for the first time. And what she's seeing and what I'm seeing now are two completely different things. Um, I watched Toy Story years ago when it came out and thought, man, this is really good. For computer animation, this is amazing. Right. And they have just gotten better. I mean, that's it, it's all it can really be said about them. Um, the, the technology has gotten better. The stories are just as good as what they started with. And to know that they all exist in the same world is, is it, it, I don't know. It just, it, it warms my heart. It really does. Cause I think this is, it, they put something like that in it, not for a kid. They put it in it for the adult that's in the room saying, Hey, I see how these can go together. Right. Now I like the way John sums it up here. Yeah. Um, the love of different people of different ages and even different species finding a way to live on earth without destroying it because of a lust for energy. Dude, that's deep. I love it. That's awesome. Heck yeah. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) So that's it. (laughs) That's it. It's all a big circle. It is all a big circle. Everything ties together. And And everything revolves around boo. All everything. You know, how could it not though? She's cutie. Mike Wachowski. Mike Wachowski. Uh, and, you know, I thought it was really nice, too, at the end there where, you know, the guys were able to to interact with humans, like through comedy oh, and yeah, stuff yeah, like that. Oh, yeah, little stand-up routines. Yeah, that was nice. So, yeah. So that is the Disney Pixar universe, um, kind of nutshelled. I, I definitely am going to throw up um, a couple of these links. I've got a... Um, I already have them pulled up here. We'll throw them on our website. Um, also, there are, um, is at least one, if not two, links to videos as well that kind of sums it up in a nutshell if you'd like to just kind of watch to see how they, they work together. Um, but, 
yeah, it, it's just, it's a fun little thing to dive into for sure. Yeah. And you can uh, post those links. Yeah. I'm going to post them to facebook.com forward slash two minds podcast where you can see pretty much everything we do. Right on, right on. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, leave us a message there. Uh, or you can shoot us a, a tweet at two minds podcast. Yeah. Or if you have like this burning question, you really want to know what happens with Boo or you need to figure out how a little part of it works, give us an email. Shoot us an email at um, twomindspodcast at gmail.com. And uh, as always, you can find this in all of our episodes on our hosting site, twominds.podbean.com. Absolutely. So this one was fun tonight. I really, really thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this whole yeah, like it was. Disney Pixar universe. And thing. it totally shredded my mind, dude. <laughs> I was not prepared to have anything like this coming out of Disney Pixar. You wouldn't think. I no, mean, like I say, as for them. Yeah, it was totally way out of left field. Yeah.